0: I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom.
0: Happy holidays. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. I am your host, Shauna Game. Welcome to day 10 of 12 Days of Holiday Episodes. You know, this year, the housing market was a wild, wild ride. And I really wish I had a crystal ball and could tell you what was going to happen in 2024. Unfortunately, I don't. But nevertheless, we're going to have a lot of amazing guests on the show that are going to help you navigate this crazy market but one of the episodes from this year that was also one of my personal favorites was how do you invest in medium-term rentals with Sarah Weaver? We've all heard of Airbnb and short-term rentals, but Sarah really believes that medium-term rentals, like that's the secret sauce. Like that's the place that you want to be. So she shares her story and all of the tips and tricks to get started in medium-term rentals. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Once again, let's start talking. Hey, it's Shauna. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. In this episode, we're talking about a real estate strategy that's helping investors combat higher interest rates, which, let's be honest, they really suck right now, with consistent cash flow, something that we all love. It's called medium-term rentals, and we're talking about it with Sarah Weaver. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. You have to have been living under a rock the last few years to not know about the explosion (laughs) of vacation rental homes or Airbnbs like you might know them. It feels like everybody I know has an Airbnb, which makes me also stop and think, hmm, okay, if everyone has one, are they really that good or am I missing out on something? More recently, though, you might have heard this. People are talking about this idea of Airbnb bust, right? That's the actual implosion of that explosion because we all went out there in the pandemic. We bought up short-term vacation rentals like Airbnbs and Now everyone's competing with everyone else, and people just aren't staying at these as much anymore. So I've been thinking, all right, what else is out there? And it seems like you have been too, because I've gotten a lot of emails from you lately saying something like, I really love this idea of short-term rentals or Airbnbs, but it's a lot to manage those two to three-day stays, consistently cleaning up after people, managing people, etc. You've been telling me all about the things that you don't like. So enter our new friend, Sarah Weaver. Sarah runs three businesses. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's probably tired a lot, but she serves both real estate investors and real estate agents. She's also author of a new book called 30 Day Stay, The Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium-Term Rental. So Sarah's really awesome. She travels around the country and she coaches real estate agents and she hosts these intimate retreats with investors talking about this idea of medium-term rentals. So yeah, it sounds like a dream life, but what Sarah's really passionate about is this idea of these medium-term rentals. So think of it this way, somewhere between a short-term rental and a long-term rental is this magical world of medium-term rentals. And according to Sarah, medium-term rentals are basically like having your cake and eating it too when it comes to real estate investing. So Sarah owns 19 units in four states. This includes nine furnished rentals, all of which she self-manages from afar, traveling all around the world. So you want to know how she does it? All right, let's start talking. You know, I get so many questions from listeners of the podcast who... Really want to buy investment properties. Like they've heard it's the best way to build passive wealth. Like everybody's doing it. You know, I I should be doing it, but there are a lot of concerns now, right? We've got higher interest rates, housing prices. You know, people are having to go over price, uh, over the list price to buy properties you know, then there's all these articles about the eroding like Airbnb market of all these people who bought Airbnbs during the pandemic. And now people aren't staying at as many Airbnbs and people are kind of losing money that way. But you found this alternative that's like somewhere in between like buying a home to Airbnb for, for short terms and buying a home for long-term rentals, and you call it the medium-term rentals. And I'm really excited about this. because We haven't really Talked about this concept. So, you know, give us a little bit of the, of the scoop. Like, what's so great about medium-term rentals?
2: Absolutely. Well, let me first say that, yes, real estate is an incredible vehicle for building wealth. And I'll be the first to say that medium-term rentals are not incredibly passive. So those are like the two things I want to make really clear. Great way to build wealth, not a super passive way to build wealth. So what is a medium-term rental? Like a short-term rental, it's furnished. So I own furnished rentals. I also own own furnished rentals. But a medium-term rental is furnished like a short-term rental. But instead of having a two-night stay or a three-night stay, you are focusing on capturing these longer-term stays. And when I say longer, I mean 30 days or more. So on average, my medium-term guest is staying 87 days.
0: Wow, okay, so like who are these people that are that are booking these days?
2: What's incredible is that it's so many different reasons that someone needs a furnished rental. So an example is someone just booked this morning because she, her lease has ended on her like long-term rental, but she's moving to a different state, but not for like there's this awkward month in between. So it's like she doesn't want to move out and like move her stuff three times. And so she just needs a furnace rental. So that's an example. Another example is someone renovating their kitchen. Whereas maybe years ago, they would have just lived in in inconvenient. But now she and her husband both work from home. And they're like, oh, we don't want to live in a house without a kitchen because we both work from home. So they lived in one of my medium term rentals while their kitchen was being rented. Um, Another really popular example is travel medical professionals. So anyone familiar with travel nurses, their average contract is 13 weeks or 12 weeks, three months. And so I I rent to a lot of travel nurses. Um, And then any occupation that's seasonal, someone that comes in for hail damage, that's really common in the Midwest. And, you know, these workers travel to where the storms are and then they need a furnished rental.
0: It makes a lot of sense, you know. I live in um, Asheville, North Carolina, and um, I had never really—I guess I never really thought about medium-term rentals. And then, you know, I had a friend of mine who was renting a place, and she was renting it for three months. And I was like, "Gosh, like that would probably get really expensive with Airbnb to to rent for three months." And she's like, "No, it's it's this—you know—they they rent the landlord rents these like medium-term rentals." Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, uh, like healthcare here in Asheville and a lot of nurses and traveling nurses. And it's like, wow, I didn't even think about like that that was, you know, an an option. And I guess it's because we just, you know, we don't hear about it a lot. Like, why? Why is that? I think,
2: I mean, unless you're in the industry, I mean, why would you hear about it? Think about all of the jobs when you meet people and you're like, wow, I've never even thought about that job and so i think that that just falls into that category and so for your listeners it's like okay but why would sarah do medium-term rentals why not just yes. do short-term rentals isn't exactly. there yes. isn't there more money in short-term rentals is what i hear a lot of the time and while certain times of the year so it for me specifically i, I own a furnished rental in omaha nebraska so even furnished rentals and not like hot markets do really well and in June, the College World Series comes to Omaha. So I yes, I switch it over to what we call a short-term rental. I allow for the you know, three or five-night days for the College World Series. And I may net more money in the month of June. But then come September, October, if I haven't placed a medium-term tenant into that unit, I have really high vacancy. And so I, I get higher vacant or sorry, and then I get higher occupancy if I switch to medium term rental, but also I call it mind space. So I mentioned right at the beginning that medium term rentals are not passive. So you have to secure your tenant, you need to communicate with the tenant, you need to communicate with the cleaner. And while a lot of this can be automated, it still takes up what I call mind space. Like I'm always thinking, oh. I didn't hear from the cleaner yesterday. Did she actually go to the unit? <laughs> I need to open my lock, my lock app, and I can look at the app and see that she like, you know, entered the unit or didn't. Um, but that takes what I call mind space. And for for your listeners, I'm fully nomadic, which means I'm traveling full time all the time. Um, frankly, it, it's about as exotic and exciting as it sounds. Um, it's my dream life. It's like the life that I wanted to live. And I just don't want to be hiking in Tanzania thinking, I wonder if unit 5511, unit two, I wonder how their checkout went. I just don't want to be thinking about that.
0: That that probably makes a lot of sense. I would not want to be I would be wanting to think about my my steps that I'm taking and yeah,
2: breathing
1: maybe, and yeah, surviving breathing
0: and like not falling off a mountain or cliff or, <laughs> or getting eaten by something that would probably be where where my thoughts were. <laughs> so I want to get to the, the digital nomad in just a little bit because you and I both love traveling. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. But, you know, if if, if I'm listening and and this is this is intriguing to me. Like tell me like what's the profile? Like what does somebody look like who um you know gets into buying properties for for medium term rentals? Like you know, how much money should I have? Um you know, all that kind of good juicy stuff. Like what am I looking for?
2: Yeah. Oh man, for those of you that are not listening to this podcast with us on camera, I have the biggest smile on my face because I love talking about exactly this that real estate investors i thought looked like you know rich wealthy older people and the truth is is that real estate investors can look like anyone because you can get into real estate investing using other people's money so if you're scrappy and gritty and you can do the work you can be what i call the hustle partner and then you find a money partner and you do the work you find the deal you manage the deal you furnish the deal you know you're kind of the hunter and the gatherer, and then you just use someone else's money. So then either one of those profiles could look like anyone, right? You could be the hustle partner or you could be the money partner. Um, and then one of the reasons I love talking about this is I own a company where I take real estate investors on epic adventures around the world, and I do retreats and trips. And when I'm going hiking in Tanzania, that's all with real estate investors. And I love that because when you look at my trip. You have people from, you know, 26 to 60 and from all different walks of life, from all different like wealth profiles, if you want to call them that. Um, And so really anyone can invest in real estate. Um, I do think that there's a lot of um, grit (laughs) necessary to be successful and not lose your mind because real estate investing is not um, always a walk in the park uh but really anyone can invest in real estate so because your podcast is everyone's talking about money let's talk about money so how much does it cost to invest in real estate the reality is is that i have friends who are very successful in real estate and they're buying houses yes like habitable homes for $75,000 is their total price Where? for the home <laughs> Um, places like Columbus, Georgia, and these are just like examples. These are friends of mine. So, um, my friend Kat buys homes like that in Columbus, Georgia. Um, my friend Corey buys homes like that in Oklahoma and Wisconsin. Um, I personally don't buy homes like that. My most inexpensive property that I bought was $180,000 was the purchase price. And it's actually a two unit. So it's a duplex, and each tenant pays about a thousand dollars a month. So I'm bringing in two thousand dollars a month in rent, and my all-in purchase price was one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. And so that's, that's really just an example. Exactly, that's just an example. Um, I've also bought a building that was three hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and so and that's a four-unit apartment building. That one is really exciting because it's a medium-term rental, and I bring in seven thousand five hundred a month in rent, whereas my monthly like payment, my yeah, my monthly payment, my principal, interest, taxes, and insurance is two thousand and fourteen dollar. So, so the math, just so you guys can hear that, like twenty percent on something worth three eighty, let's just call it, you know, eighty thousand dollars um, that that's a, a big chunk t- chunk of change. So for someone to have, you know, $80,000 just for the down payment, that can be a lot of money. But I've also bought a house where I put $6,000 down for the down payment. I've also bought a house where I put $0 down for the down payment. So real estate investing really can can look a lot of different way.
0: And I think what's exciting, and I wish that I would have known about this when I was in my twenties because I bought my first house at twenty four in Los Angeles, and it was expensive at that time. Um, I think it was about three hundred thirty thousand dollars, and you know we scrapped together as much as we could from a down payment. Luckily, we had money from a little bit of money from our parents, not a lot of money, but obviously that was that was very helpful. But you know we really had no business like buying a house that that purchase price at 24 years old. But somehow we made it we made it work. But you know, I wish that I really would have learned this about real estate back then because I think it's a really unique um it's a really unique way to build wealth and also to create cash flow and so I think about this, you know, when I was a practicing certified financial planner and I would talk to people about buying their first house I would also talk to them you know if there wasn't a lot of money available like could we buy a rental property and we create cash flow for you and then maybe you use some of the equity in that house to take out and buy your house that you actually want like down the line and now all of a sudden you have you have two things and you have one thing that's generating cash flow and you know you'd watch like light bulbs like kind of go off you know like whoa you can do that and so I think it's really fascinating you know even if you you know you aren't sure which way you want to go when you when you buy your first property it's really exciting to me like this idea that you could buy something and you know the mortgage could be two thousand bucks and you could make seven, thousand dollars just by using you know a concept like this and suddenly you make five thousand bucks a month I mean that starts to be like real math for people.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people are scared away from real estate because they just don't feel like it's for them. And so what I really want your listeners to understand is that you may know nothing about houses. So nothing about the construction, renovation, rehab. That's totally okay. That all can be hired out. You may know a little bit about some of that stuff, but then maybe you're like, whoa, like spreadsheets and capex and capital expenditures, that all sounds like gibberish to me. That's okay. That also can be hired out, or you can learn how to do it. And so I really believe that real estate investing is a great way to build wealth for anyone willing to put in the work.
0: What about though, if we're, you know, reading articles or if we even listen to the news anymore, but somehow we're getting our information somewhere, and uh, all the talk is around the fear of, of buying anything right now that, that, you know, it's the worst time to buy interest rates are high. It just, you know, it's kind of this fear cycle of buying real estate. Is that true? Or like, how do we put that all into perspective?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's always a bad time to buy a bad deal. So I think that's really important for everyone to understand. And so there are good deals still out there. It is more difficult to make a deal work when the money that you're leveraging is 7.5% interest versus 3% interest like we were experiencing not that long ago. And so I it would be naive of anyone to think that they're gonna find a cash flowing deal every day easily. So it is more difficult to find a really good deal. However, so many people are doing exactly what you just said, listening to the news, and they're sitting on the sidelines. So our competition with some of these good deals is so much lower. So there's a more likelihood that you can get something under contract. And then when you pair the medium-term rental strategy with out-of-state investing, so you go to a market that is less expensive or where it still is possible to cash flow, and then you furnish the unit and you rent it to medium-term tenants, that's where the magic happens.
0: All right, this is getting really interesting. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, Sarah's going to share something really important, how you find a money partner. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day, or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the EARNIN app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So how would you spend the money you get from EARNIN? Well, honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news? Well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time-consuming. I tried all of the apps. So tell me a little bit about, you kind of dropped this in, and I, I want to make sure we talk about this, this idea of finding a money partner.
2: Mm, how do you, yes. how do you, like, who are you looking for? How do you find that person? You just open tender and you start swiping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's a, There needs to be a tender for, for real estate <laughs> investing, right?
2: <laughs> so, so obviously I'm joking. Um, I think what you need to do is you need to decide which partner are you. And you don't have to be, um, like, experienced in the sense that you've done 20 deals. However, I would be weir- really weary if you've only done one deal. So you, you may need to look at doing partnerships for deal number two or number three. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. But then where to find partners? Um, I mean, I found partners in some of the most unique places. One of them was just a family friend. She had been watching what I was doing. You know, I post on Instagram. I talk about what I do. And she had been watching from afar. And then was just right place, right time. When a deal came across my desk, she was, had been asking questions about real estate investing. So I brought the opportunity to her and she said yes. Then not long after that, I had another deal that was great for a money partner. And someone had messaged me on Instagram. He, had, he and I went to undergrad together. And his exact message was, what the F do you do? He's like, you're like traveling the world, but you're always talking about real estate. I am so confused. Like, are you're not an agent. You're not a flipper. Like, what do you do? And I was like, I buy real estate and hold on to it. And then I travel the world. And he's like, cool, I have some money. And that was more or less how the conversation went. And so I I knew him from undergrad. And again, he followed me on Instagram. And then my third partner, um, I met her at a conference. And so, for anyone looking to get into real estate, my advice would be start attending local meetups It's a really great, free way to start making relationships with people in your in your market or in your in your area to invest and You might be surprised someone might just say the right thing and you get along well, and they their needs match your needs and your wants and the next thing you know, you buy a property together
0: perfect partnership.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to get back to, to talking about traveling. I mean, obviously, this is a really fun topic, right? So you've built your portfolio of, of medium term rentals and all the properties you have all while traveling, living abroad, like you say, having this nomadic life. And I think traditional wisdom is that, you know, you have to see the house you're buying, you know, you have to you have to touch it, you have to feel it, you have to maybe even live close to it, you have to maintain, it. you have to check on it, you know, there's, There's that that just that wisdom, and I think that feeling of like I've got to be close to to where this is at. But you say no. There's there's obviously another way of doing this. So I mean, how in the world do you find the bravery to to invest in in places that you've never seen while you're traveling?
2: Yeah, um, bravery is a very interesting. I'm like I don't always feel brave, but you are right. I like. I do what I call function in the fear. So I'm, I want everyone to hear me when I say, I'm still scared when I do this, okay? Um, and I have bought property um, in a, an area of town that I had never been to. Um, I was in New Zealand at the time, and I analyzed the deal, wrote the offer, went under contract, and closed from 8,000 miles away. And then two months later, I bought two properties in Des Moines, Iowa, and I had never even been to Des Moines. And so you listeners can buy real estate in places you've never been. And you have to have a few things. You have to know how to analyze deals. You have to know how to analyze markets. And then you have to build an on-the-ground team. And so an on-the-ground team for me starts with an investor-friendly agent, then he or she's going to introduce you to a contractor, an appraiser, an inspector, a plumber, a property manager, some other like, contractors. And then those people are your eyes and ears. And then your phone is your greatest tool. Um, I don't need to walk a property. I don't know more about plumbing than the certified licensed plumber. So He's gonna send me photos and videos, and then I'm gonna pay him via Zelle or Venmo once his work has been checked.
0: Magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you know we're talking about all the good sides of real estate, but I know everybody has like a horror story around real estate. I mean, I just gotta ask, like, do you
2: have one? Oh, I have lots. <laughs> there has been a lot of tears shed during real estate investing. I hope that that's really clear and if that scares you away, then invest in syndications or the stock market. But if if you can handle it, um then you just really keep your eye on the big picture. So, gosh, let me think of a good story to tell you guys. Um I have had a tenant who um they did something silly and created a plumbing issue. And of course, it was not in a side-by-side duplex, it was in what we call an up-down duplex. So the upstairs leaked into the downstairs. And so now I have a problem in both units. So now I have you know, two sets of tenants that I have to coordinate with, and thankfully they actually were very pleasant, but they could have been upset, right? So you're coordinating with all this, and so I'm texting. All of this is over text, by the way, you guys. I'm texting tenants, I'm texting vendors, maybe I hop on the phone every once in a while, otherwise. This is all handled via text and email. And (laughs) we had to remove kitchen cabinet. And unfortunately, mold had started to grow behind the kitchen cabinet. I mean, this all happened like within days. It's not like I neglected any issues. And we get a phone call from the mold remediation company. And he's like, we can't take care of it because of the shrimp. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, what? This is in Des Moines, Iowa. What do you mean shrimp? (laughs) I'm like, is that like a plumbing term? No, I I assumed he was actually talking about shrimp. I'm like, what? Yes, the tenant, I cannot make this stuff up, you guys. The tenant had a fish tank full of shrimp that he had bought on the side of the road assuming he was planning on eating them and then I don't know how or why thought to Google this breed of shrimp and turns out it's in rare breed of shrimp. So he's now breeding shrimp in his fish tank in his unit. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't even like have word. Like I'm like, is this, am I being pumped? Like what? And then, you know, jokes are like, Oh, should I like, ha- is this like a per pet fee? Like how many shrimp are we talking about? And, and ins- I could have been angry, and, you know, like this could have ruined my day because now I have to like re-coordinate with the tenants and the mold remediation people have to go back out the next day. But this is just so funny. Like we just have to laugh. Um, <laughs> and and stuff like this happens in real estate all the time. It may not be shrimp, but just kind of like head scratching like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Right. Moments happen all the time. <laughs>
0: So we were, we were talking before we hit, uh, record just about how much you love talking about money. Obviously it's, it's the name of the show. And, um, I, I want to dive a little bit into your story because I just think this really like affirms that, you know, we don't have to be rich. We don't have to be old. We don't have to be whatever the stereotypes we are, we think about around. You know, um, building wealth and creating financial independence—like they, they just don't have to apply to us anymore. So, in the conclusion of your book, you say that you're just this girl from Kansas who put her head down, didn't listen to people who said investing in real estate was risky or a luxury reserved only for the rich. Instead, you listened to yourself, and you really wanted to just travel the world and earn returns from real estate to fund your ideal life. You did that. So tell us the story of like of being 27 and single and making, you know, $40,000 and just deciding I'm just going to take this risk and I'm just going to start investing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It it came from a long like look at what I wanted my life to look like. So I I it may seem on paper like, oh wow, this girl's like, you know, living in Korea or Brazil, like she must be you know really spontaneous but the the reality is is I'm actually really, really intentional, and so I set out um after college and just really save, and that wasn't fun, it wasn't sexy, like you know, like eating only off the happy hour menu or like exactly. gaming before so and, and I want to be really clear, but I was living a really full life. I was not, you know, eating ramen, not traveling. I was traveling and I was living that hostile life, like really backpacking it up. Like sometimes it was peanut butter and crackers so that I could afford to go to the cool club that night or whatever it might be. Um, and so I just learned really quickly, like where I wanted to penny pinch and where I wanted to spend money. And what really set me on like a, an excellent money trajectory was I taught English in South Korea. And a lot of people don't know, but it's, it's actually quite um, lucrative because you don't have any expenses. And so that I think is like subconsciously where I learned to keep my like day-to-day expenses really low. Um, Because there you have your housing covered, they fly you out there, you have healthcare. Woo. Us Americans are like, this is awesome. And, and so I kept my expenses really low and I had a really good goal. I was going to end my contract teaching English in Korea and go backpack for three to six months. And that was going to cost money. And so I had a really clear goal and I just saved and saved and saved. And if I found other ways to make money on the side, I did it. So I wrote blog posts um, and was a content like writer I taught English on the weekends and just found other ways to make money. And then in doing so, I saved enough money that I paid off my student loans because that was right after college. And I, and I paid for university by myself. Um, so anyone out there that's like, Oh, she's so lucky. Um, I I paid for school by myself. And, and so I did graduate with some student debt and, and that year in Korea just taught me so much about money. And then, I moved back to the U.S. and realized how expensive it is. I had, to, <laughs> I had to get a car. I had to get an apartment. You have to furnish the apartment. Your friends all have nice stuff. And you're like, dang it, I want nice stuff. And so it really hit me that you you need to make more money. And so I focused on ways that I could make money. So that's my like first piece of advice is like really focus on how you can keep your expenses low and make more money. And then it gets fun when those two things get further and further apart. And I just never did the lifestyle creep. And I'm still like almost struggling to do life, like with like actually spending money. My CPA is now a friend of mine. And she's like, girl, you got to spend some money. <laughs> like you just, you don't spend money. And, and that is something that I'm really proud of that I've learned to not spend money. But I also recognize that frugality is probably also a symptom of scarcity mindset around money and so for those of you listening that you resonate with that like check yourself or meet with a money professional to to check some of those frugal tendencies and make sure you're not being actually have scarcity mindset
0: want to know where to just start with medium term rentals sarah's got an action plan stay tuned for all the juicy details
1: Hi, I'm Karina Bemasterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right, daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts, and remember, stay safe.
0: That's a good point, though, because, you know, when we talk about relationship with money, we tend to focus on something that we would consider like a negative, like we're out there just spending and spending and spending and And, and where does that come from and, you know, what drives our spending, but also with frugality, like you said, could be, you know, this symptom of of scarcity and this just fear around spending money and, and having some fun. And so I think it's always about like trying to find a middle place where you can, you can have some fun, you can enjoy your life. Uh, but you're also honoring being intentional, you use that word, you're honoring your your goals and the things you want to do with your money. And obviously you've seen how money can grow. And so I would imagine that uh, that also is like a really exciting thing. You want to just continue to see it grow.
2: Yeah. I, I'm a really competitive person. So if anyone's listening is competitive, I also kind of gamify money. Like, okay, where can I, how much can I save this month? How much can I make this month? And then how much are my investments making? So that's what was so cool about the medium-term rental strategy is it was like, for me, it completely gamified real estate investing. I was like, you're telling me that this one bedroom long-term rents for 800, but if I furnish it for four to $5,000, which, sorry guys, inflation, that's not really possible today. That same furniture now would cost me like $7,000. So let's just say it costs 7,000. But now I can rent it for 1,000 $900, I was like, I just gamified real estate investing. And so now half of my portfolio is long-term rentals and half of my portfolio is medium-term rentals because I saw the potential in that strategy. Um, and so I definitely realized that you do have to spend money to make money. There's a reason that that's a like common phrase. Um, and so sometimes I had to quiet that frugal part of myself. Um, so that I could invest and, and truly build wealth.
0: Traveling all around the world like you have, I'm curious what um, maybe like what you've picked up from other cultures about money and, and their relationship with money and how they interact and like who you might think like is doing it well. Yeah,
2: I think that it all comes back to happiness. So I am happiest. When I am connecting with people, like that's like my deepest desire is true connections. And so for me, I don't need to be wearing luxury clothes or sitting at a Michelin star restaurant. I could have, you know, my feet in the sand and my, you know, Brazilian flip flops and be having like the most amazing conversation with someone spending a couple dollars a day. And so f- whereas whereas there are other people, and I'm sure some of your listeners are like, no, nah, I like really like luxury. <laughs> well, then you need to find a way to fund your ideal life. And so I think that traveling has taught me that, is that I don't need a lot of these other things to bring me happiness. Um, and And just started to figure out what do I need. And sometimes it's, you know, I don't want to do the three stopovers like I used to when I was being super budgety. Um, So there's certain things I've learned um, along the way. And then as far as other cultures, the greatest thing that I've learned is to really quiet that workaholic piece of myself. That is a true American trait that serves us. I mean, it serves us in some ways if you understand how to have harmony. Um, I think balance is, is a myth. I don't really believe in balance. But I do believe in like living a harmonious life, and for me, I, I can't work all the time. That's not good for my mental health. It's not good for my connections with my friends, and so that is something that I've been gifted with. Other people and other cultures is that they're like, "Wow, you you Americans work a lot. Like, have you have, <laughs> have you taken thirty five days of vacation this year? If not, take a vacation." <laughs>
0: I know. I mean, it's just—it's crazy how you know you go somewhere else and this different culture, and you know, obviously they know you're American or you say you're American, and usually the first thing that comes out is something around us working too hard or not enjoying life enough, and it's like, wow, that really just kind of slapped you in the face,
2: you know. Um, but it's, I, I, I have a—I have a great—I have a great story. I was sitting. I was sitting in the like northern part of Guatemala um, at at the Zephyr Lodge um, Hostel, which has like an amazing infinity pool, but the rooms are real grunge, real scary. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of backpackers and there's this Australian couple and she's reading some some book I had read. I can't remember what it was. It was probably like a Leanne Moriarty, you know, like an interesting uh, fiction book. And I'm reading a book about business and money. And she just looked at me and she's like, that is the most American spit I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "What? Wh- wh- who are you? What's your story? And I'm like, I don't even want to tell her I'm a real estate investor.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. That is great. <laughs> You're like, well, okay, I'll put this book down. Is there another one I, could, I can pick up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true, but I tend to read books about business. And even when I'm on vacation, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I not resting my brain? Like, my brain is always going. There must be some way to like, can I pick up something fun and dumb and just read that?
2: Oh, I do. I do have a book for you. You should read. Um, it's, it's, um, oh my gosh, who is it by Kristen Newman, I think is her name. And it's called what I was doing while you were breeding. And she lived in LA and she's a television writer. And in her twenties and thirties, all of her friends were getting married and having babies. And she was traveling and that is a, it's a laugh out loud read that, that sometimes I pick up again because I'm like, okay, I need to put down to the business book and, and read something funny.
0: <laughs> All right. I'm putting, I'm putting it on the list. I will link it in the show notes for everyone listening. So you, you detail so much in, in your book 30 day stay, but you know, I'm thinking for someone listening, like maybe just give us a little bit of the cliff note version. If If this is something we're interested, where in the world do we start? Like, where do we go from, you know, step one?
2: Yeah. So if you're interested in real estate investing, you first have to figure out what are your goals. So I'll I'll give you an example. I had someone come to me. His name was Scott. And he was like, okay, Sarah, I want to own, you know, 19 medium term rentals. I want to furnish them myself self-manage myself. I'm like, okay, great. Let me like, you know, let's put together a plan. And then before we do, why? And he's like, well, I want to spend more time with my wife and kids. <laughs> I was like, okay, well then you're not going to furnish yourself. You're not going to self-manage. That is going to give you a J-O-B, a job, and you want to spend more time with your wife and kids. So figure out your why to ensure that your strategy is in line with your why. So for him, it makes more sense to do long-term buy and holds out of state and use a property manager. That's what he ended up doing. Um, he could have also done something even more passive called syndication. Um, and, and so the, the first step is figure out your goals or where are you going. Then how are you going to get there? So it likely is going to involve picking a market, picking a strategy, and learning how to analyze deals. Even if you don't like spreadsheets, you don't like math, I'm telling you, I have a journalism degree and I'm really good at analyzing deals. And that gives you a lot of confidence so that when you are scared, like I told you guys, I, I function in the fear, you always go back to your deal analysis spreadsheet and you're like, okay, okay, I'm scared and this is a good deal. So I'm going to take the next step. And so those really are the first steps. So pick a market, Tell pick me. a strategy, learn how to analyze deal.
0: Walk me a little bit down the the pick the market piece, because I think that's probably where a lot of people get stuck is if it's someplace that's not close to me or that I know, how do I know it's it's a good place? Like, how do I find that on a map?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first, what I tell people is that there are so many people in the United States making great money in a ton of different markets. There are a few markets where I'm not interested. Um, I'm not going to name them because then I'll get an investor that says, "Well, I'm making money in that market," and that's exactly the first thing I just said. Is there's real estate investors in every market making money, right? So, so sometimes it just makes sense. Like, where are you drawn to? Like, do you want to own an Airbnb in Asheville? Maybe you're like, hey, I know that that's like a great like you know destination for bachelorette parties or even just I had, I had a 19 person reunion, like college reunion of friends in Asheville. We stayed at two Airbnbs. Um, so is there somewhere in the country that you're drawn to, or even out of the country? I have friends making great money, owning Airbnbs all over the, of, all over the world, or even just long-term rentals. So is there a market that you're drawn to? And then here are my metrics. I want to see population growth. Because again, we're parking our money in a property. I want that market to be getting better over time. Simple economics, even if you took this in high school, supply and demand, we want more people because that means more potential renters, right? We don't want population going down. So that's metric number one. Metric number two is I want those people moving there for jobs. So I want to see job growth. So I want to see a 20% population increase over a decade. I want to see 2 to 3% job growth year over year. And then I want to see wage income growth. I'm not going to put a percentage to that because, frankly, wages are not keeping up with inflation. So any number I said is going to be wrong. But we at least want it going up, not down. And then we want to see crime going down. Not only do you want your tenants to be safe, but you want your insurance rates to stay the same. And then from there, I want to see home values going up. The national average, some say it's 6% appreciation year over year. I think it's closer to 4 when you're looking nationwide. So therefore, I want to see a solid 40% decade over decade. That's 4% a year. So let's see at least that, if not more. More is obviously ideal. Um, and those are my metrics. And then everyone's going to think, well, wait a minute. That's like a lot of markets that qualify. And I'm like, yeah, don't you remember the first thing I said? So many markets qualify. And then you just have to find, you could be in love with a market. You could say, man, I really want to own a property in, I'm trying to think of somewhere random, Fort Wayne, Indiana. But if you don't have an agent sending you deals or, or you create deal flow yourself by sending mailers, cold callers, maybe you fly there, you knock on doors, whatever it is to create deal flow, it doesn't really matter how much you love a market. You have to have deal flow. So that's where it comes to building an on-the-ground team. And I start with investor-friendly agents. And if all of this sounds really sexy, but also really confusing, I am more than happy to hop on the call with someone and walk you through every single piece of this because that's what I do. I I teach people how to invest in real estate because there's a lot of moving pieces. And everyone listening to this podcast, you are smart enough to figure this out.
0: I was hoping you were going to say that you, you'd hop on the, uh, hop on the call with us because yeah, I mean, when you start thinking, when you start digging down deeper and deeper, and even when I was reading your book, I was like, okay, it's, it's somewhat simplistic or easy to understand, I should say, concept. Yeah. But obviously there are, you know, a lot of factors that go into it, just like anything. And so, you know, having somebody who has done it before and done it successfully and, you know, had, had some tenants that put shrimp you know, we're breeding shrimp and, uh, you know, you, you kind of know how to look out for us. And I think that's what's great about, you know, building a, a money team, building a, a money mentor team. And it's, it's important to have people that, um, that you trust that can help you open the doors or shortcut, you know, some of these ideas or strategies, even just to see if,
2: you know, this would even work for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And so yes, if anyone's interested, there's a link in my Instagram bio or on my website, dot Please schedule a call with me. I love talking about two things, travel and real estate. And so I'm more than happy to help anyone if, if they're if they're willing to put in the work.
0: Okay, last question, a little bit of like a crystal ball question, but but would love to hear your thoughts on this. You know, what do you think? the real estate market's gonna look like, you know, in, in the next few years. Like, is there anything that we should be prepared for or kind of on the lookout for what might be coming ahead for us?
2: Yeah, wonderful question. And man, oh man, do I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, so do not know listeners, do not slide into my DMs with like, you're wrong, because this is just my take on it. Asterisk,
0: asterisk, asterisk.
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So what I see is, um, well, first I look backwards. So what has history done? So of course we have 2008 as like a very loud reminder of what can happen. And let me tell everyone something that I like seeing and what helps me sleep at night is while prices plummeted in some markets, not every market. Rent increased or stayed the same, but mostly increased in every single market in the U.S. during that period of time. So what does that actually mean for those of you that are like, okay, that, that, that sounds interesting, but what does that mean? So what that means is if you were a real estate investor in two, two, 20, uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, and you owned a property while the property value could have plummeted and I say that word I mean that's a dramatic term but it's true the value of your home could have gone down you could have even been underwater meaning you owed more on the house than the house is even worth but as long as you had a fixed 30-year or even 15-year mortgage meaning your principal in- and interest your principal in- and interest stayed the same your monthly payment stayed the same rent stayed the same or went up year over year during that yeah. time. So terrifying. I, I am really glad that I'm as young as I am and I didn't experience that because I can't imagine what that would have been like to go through. However, for those of those people who were not completely over leveraged and could just sit and weather the storm, I'm sure there was a lot of sleep loss during that time, but rent went up. And so while I would be devastated if the value of my property plummeted, you just sit and you weather the storm because rent should not go down. And that's, that's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on that rent will stay the same or go up every year. And I bought really good deals. And so I will continue to buy good deals and I will continue to buy real estate.
0: Are you an over-analyzer like me? I feel like I could spend all day, all year, just over analyzing what real estate investing strategy is right for me. And I, I'm not—I'm not kidding. I, I just—I love to analyze things, but I think I analyze them like to a point of <laughs> of ridiculousness, where it's like, all right, Shauna, you—you got to do something. And what I love about Sarah's story is that she just jumped in and she just figured it all out. That's really inspiring to me. And I got to admit, this idea of medium term rental strategy, like it sounds really interesting. It sounds sustainable and profitable, especially with the market we have right now. So, if you decide to jump in, give this a try, send me an email. Let me know what your experience is like. Of course, tell me where you bought because we all want to know that, right? Well, you can grab a copy of Sarah's book, 30 Day Stay, everywhere books are sold. And if you love a good deal, which I always love a good deal, you can get 10% off by going to ilovemtr.com. You can also check out her website, sarahdweaver.com, for all of her amazing details and everything that she's up to. If you enjoyed this episode and you got someone in your life, some friends that are trying to figure out, you know, what real estate investing strategy is right for them. I don't know. Give a give them uh, this episode. Tell them, you know, check out this idea of medium term rentals. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links Her episode guests as well as the sponsors who make this show possible. I'll see you right back here, my friend, in a few days for a brand new episode.